Well, good morning, Cedar Creek Church right here at our Banks Mill campus, as well as the Ridge and the West Campus in Hookstown, Pennsylvania. So glad you're here today. My name is Danny Wilson, and I'm the campus pastor right here at our Banks Mill location, and just really, really excited that you're here today. And I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to believe that we're like halfway through the summer already, July the 14th, and life is moving on, summer's moving on, school's right around the corner, and life is just going at a breakneck pace right now, and I just want things to slow down a little bit. I turned 51 back in June, and I just feel like it is a race right now. So I don't know if that's where you are, but maybe for the next few minutes, you can take a deep breath, just relax, and enjoy our time together this morning. And let me just say this, I appreciate so much our worship team here at our Banks Mill campus, but I know at all of our campuses that do such a wonderful job every week leading in worship and just preparing us to meet Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and then also helping us get ready for the Word. So I'm so grateful for all of our worship teams across all of our campuses. You know, this morning, I would really love to be getting ready to share with you a message on the importance of rest in your life. I would love this morning to be sharing with you a message on how to slow down and just to relax. Or maybe even to be sharing a message with you today on the importance and understanding of living the abundant life that God's Word talks about. But unfortunately today, I get to share a message with you on judgment. Now how does that sound this morning? Really? You pumped up about that? You glad you're here today? Um, my hope and my prayer is as we go through the message today that God will speak to you. But today is kind of a heavy message. And my hope and my prayer is that God speaks to you as he's been speaking to me all week getting ready for this particular message. And if you've been here for any weeks at all, you know we're in a, a book series, a summer book series that's on Amos. And I would encourage you to spend some time looking through and uh, just reading through the book of Amos. Would love for you to take some time if you've missed a Sunday or maybe this is your first week here, just to go to our website or our app and watch all of the messages of this particular series because Amos is an incredible book and Amos was just a very ordinary guy doing his thing, being a shepherd and God called Amos and Amos realized God was calling him and he delivered a really, really tough message to the nation of Israel. And as I read and have studied more and more about Amos, I realized how much I'm just like him, just an ordinary person going through life that God's called me and God's called you to do certain things. And he expects us to do those things. And as we're obedient to do those things, he does some amazing things. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Pastor Philip did a great job week one kind of laying out the Amos, who he was, that kind of stuff. So again, go back and check that out because I really want to dive into today's message. But I want you to think with me for a minute about that whole idea of judgment and what comes to your mind when you hear that word judgment? Probably for a lot of us, we get really negative and we start thinking about condescending comments and hurt feelings. And it's not a really, really good word when we really stop to think about it. But I want you to think about the very root of that word. What does it really mean? What does judgment mean? And there are a lot of different definitions, but there's three here that I thought probably one of these came to your mind quickly when you think about that. So let me take a minute and share with you just a couple of definitions. One is judgment is the process of forming an opinion or an evaluation by discerning or by comparing. So when things come into our lives, situations, opportunities, um, just, just things come into our lives, we form an opinion or evaluate by discerning and comparing, and that's a judgment. We also think about a formal decision given by a court. A judge gives a judgment, and it's that final decision that, that comes from that formal decision that comes in a courtroom. Or it can also be a divine sentence or a decision by God. 
And that's where we're going to focus on. That's what I want you to think about as we think about that word judgment today, that it's that divine sentence or it's a decision that God makes. And so as we go through, that is the one definition I'm going to really be focusing in and zooming in on today. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And then I want to ask you to think about this. Why do we struggle with judgment? Think about that for a minute. We hear that word. Often we really struggle with that word. And I just thought of a few things. I thought a lot of times when we think about judgment, we think about feeling bad. If I'm being judged, typically you don't feel very good. Or maybe it makes you feel devalued. Maybe you feel guilty when somebody judges you. Maybe you feel like that you're being judged and people really don't know your situation and where you're coming from. So it just leads to a lot of resentment and hurt feelings over that. Or I don't know, maybe judgment is hard for us to deal with because it means we're in the wrong. Don't really know where you are, but I know for a lot of us, that whole idea of judgment is a hard thing for us to stomach. And let me go ahead and share, and you'll see this on the card you got when you came in. Let me go ahead and share the idea of today's message with you. And I want you to realize that God uses his judgment, and God can use judgment to help accomplish today's big idea. And that's why this is so important, because ultimately this is what God wants to do in our lives. So look on your card with me, and look, look at what our, our main idea today is. God's plumb line of righteousness might make us uncomfortable, but it will show us where our lives are crooked. Think about that for a minute. God's plumb line of righteousness, we're going to talk about plumb line in just a minute uh, in, in depth, but it might make us uncomfortable, but God's plumb line will show us where our lives are crooked. And with that being said, I want to go right on into the message, and I'm going to be reading out of Amos chapter 7, the, verse seven, the first 17 verses. So I'll just ask you to listen as I read those verses. They're on the screen. You may have it on your Bible app. Um, you may have brought a Bible with you, but wherever you are, if you'll follow along with me. And here's what God's Word says. The Sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields and as the main crop was coming up. In my vision, the locust, was com um, in my vision, the locust ate every green plant in sight. Then I said, O Sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive. Israel is so small. So the Lord relented from this plan. I will not do it, he said. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring, devouring the entire land. Then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. Then the Lord showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it, was still, if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all of their sins. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined and the temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. What he is saying is intolerable. He is saying Jeroboam will soon be killed and the people of Israel will be sent away into exile. Then Amaziah sent orders to Amos, get out of here, you prophet. Go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying there. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet, 
and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd and take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to all my people in Israel. Now then, listen to the message from the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel. Stop preaching against my people. But this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will be killed. Your land will be divided up, and you yourself will die in a foreign land. And the people of Israel will certainly become captives in exile, far from their homeland. Now you can see why I was so excited to bring this message to you today. Sounds really good, doesn't it? But anyway, God does have some things he wants to tell us today, and, and it's going to be important that we tune in and listen closely, because I think we'll, we're going to learn some important things today. One of the things I had to ask myself is, what's happening here? Why is God so unhappy with Israel? So as I began to deal and look back through Amos and things that we've talked about, some things really became clear to me. And you'll see these listed right there on, your, on the card you got when you came in. God wasn't happy with Israel, number one, because they worshipped idols. What had happened is the Israel had split into northern and southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, the, the king did not want the people to drift down into the southern kingdom to worship. So he began to build these uh, images of, of God, of what God should be like. And all of a sudden, the people started worshiping these images and these idols. And we need to understand an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. It's anything. It can be really, really good things, but an idol is anything that takes the place of God. So these images were taking the place of God. And what I want you to think about for a minute before we get too hard on Israel is, what idols do you have in your life? What in your life comes before God? Listen to me closely. It can be your children. It can be a spouse. It can be sports. It can be a job. It can be something recreational. It can be taking care of your body. Anything in our lives that comes before God becomes an idol. And we know from the, from the Ten Commandments, the very first Ten Commandment is that God, there should be no other God but God. He should be number one. And there should be no other idol, no other focus in our life. And the fact that Israel had lost that focus was a huge deal to God. They had begun to worship idols. Why, why was he not happy with them? Because number two, you'll see there, they were oppressing the poor. They were oppressing the poor, especially the rich people. And that word oppress actually means to crush. So basically what's happening is the rich people were crushing the poor people. And this is something we know from Scripture that God is never in favor of. This is important to God that we care and we look after and we take care of the people who are poor and desolate and, and just struggling. And the fact that they were oppressing them was very, very important to God. And again, I don't want us to be too hard on Israel because do we not do that same thing? Are there not people in our life that maybe we don't feel like are as good as we are? Or maybe they're struggling and we're not struggling. Or maybe it's because of how they grew up or where they grew up. And we can do that same thing to them. We can crush them. We can push them down. We can destroy them simply because we don't feel like that they're as important as we are. And we don't feel like they're as special as we are. So we can be guilty of doing the same thing. A third thing, a third reason God wasn't happy was they were only giving lip service to God. They weren't truly worshiping him. They were only giving lip service. And this is huge because we can really, really be guilty of this a lot ourselves. We can just talk it, but we don't live it out. And I would just ask you this. Look at the fruit of your life. Does the fruit of your life reflect God and God's word? Or are you just giving lip service about Jesus, about the difference he makes in your life, about who he is in your life? 
or has your life really been changed by him? Because again, we can all fall into this trap of talking the, the talk and the talk, but not really living it out. And the fruit of our life really gives evidence. Are we giving lip service? Or are we truly worshiping God? Another thing you're going to see there is they were abusing their status. You know, the nation of Israel uh, was a very, very fortunate nation. God chose to use them uh, in the Old Testament to make himself known to all the nations. God was going to bless other people through Israel. Israel was a place that when people looked at them, they were going to see what God was all about. And Israel had gotten arrogant. And Israel had decided to do things their own way. And they were beginning to abuse the status that God had given them as his favored people, of people that he loved, that he was pouring his blessing out on, that he wanted to use to reach other nations. They were beginning to abuse that status. So this was a huge deal to God. And as I started thinking about that, I started thinking about my own life. Do I ever abuse my status? Danny, what are you talking about? Well, I'm a child of God's. I'm God's son. God has forgiven me. God has shown me grace and mercy and forgiveness. And do I ever abuse that by going out and doing whatever I want and just saying, you know what? God will forgive me for that. Or do I think about the fact that God might be leading me to reach and to, to care for and to love this person or that person, but somehow in my mind, I think because I'm God's child, he'll overlook the fact if I don't do that and if I'm not obedient to him. And I'm abusing that status as his son or maybe for you as his daughter. So again, maybe we're guilty of the same thing that Israel is going through. We're abusing the status. How about this one? Partying at the expense of other people. What are you talking about here? If you look back in Amos, you'll find out that people were partying and they were doing it oftentimes at the expense of the needy and those who were, who were poor. They were only focused on them having a good time and their life being great and their life being fun and they had forgotten everybody else and the people that were behind them that were struggling, the people who weren't as blessed as they were and they were just living it up and loving this lifestyle. And they weren't, again, concerned about anything other than themselves. And sometimes, again, we can do that. We can go through life with no regard to the people around us, no regard to the suffering around us. We're focused on ourselves and what brings us contentment and what brings us happiness and what brings us that feeling of fulfillment at that moment. So, again, we can be just like Israel. And then the last thing you'll see there is they were trusting in things, trusting in things. What they were trusting in in Amos was wealth and houses and fortifications in order to experience salvation. They were putting all that in all these things and trusting in those things to give them meaning, to give them salvation. And God would say, no, not at all. That's not what, who I want you to trust in and what I want you to trust in. I want you to trust in me. And again, I had to look at myself and ask myself the question, what am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in? Am I trusting in things to bring life, to bring hope, to bring purpose? What am I trusting in in my own life? So let, look at that list for a minute. There's a lot going on here. God's not happy with Israel because of idols, oppressing the poor, only giving lip service. They were abusing their status as God's chosen people. They were partying and living it up at other people's expense. They were trusting in things. We need to understand this is a big deal to God. This is huge to him because they're not living where he wants them to live and how he has planned for them to live. And the result of all of that is that they were losing their focus on God. And they were slipping in that relationship with him because they were focused on things that were pleasurable for them and easy for them and things they wanted to do. And they weren't focused on what God wanted them to be about and what his purpose and his plan were. And they were being disobedient to him. 
And again, I have to think about myself. I can be just like that, and I can be disobedient. I can get focused on myself, and all of a sudden I've broken God's heart, and God wants to get my attention because he wants to be in that relationship with me, and he desires that. So because of God's tremendous love for the nation of Israel, and because of his desire to be in a relationship with them, what he does right here, and the fact that his, idea, his patience is wearing thin, he's about to execute judgment on this nation. And he's about to punish them for what they did. And we will see in just a minute what those punishments were. And we'll talk briefly about them. But I want you to notice, even in verses 10 through 13, and I won't take time to reread those, but even the leaders of the nation had gotten to a very dangerous place. They were rejecting God's truth in favor of living and doing the things that they wanted to do. They were turning away. They were turning Amos away and saying, hey, leave us. Don't stay here anymore. We want you out of here. We don't want you to be here anymore. And they wanted him to preach to other people and not judge them because judgment is hard. Judgment is something that's hard for us to stomach, even if it's God's judgment because it means we're in the wrong. And the nation was really, really struggling with this. So as a result of all of this disobedience we just talked about in their life, God was going to judge the nation. He was going to do it by the, by, the, um, by the things that we just read about just a moment ago, by, by the visions that he gave to Amos. And so real quickly, you'll see right there the first one, and you can write this down on your card. The first vision had to do with locust. This would be a pretty big deal, okay? Uh, if you look at verses 1 and 2, the Lord showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. And after the king took his share, everything that was green was eaten. Everything would be consumed by these locusts. This, God is serious about this. God is serious about this judgment. He's basically saying, I'm going to take all of the food of this land, and I'm going to get rid of it. And you're not going to eat. And if you don't eat, that's a pretty serious punishment because you're going to end up dying. This stuff is a big deal to God not walking with him, not living like he's called him to live. And he said, because of your disobedience, I'm going to judge you by sending these locusts. Then he goes on to talk about a fire in verse 4. I mean, this is crazy. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with the great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring, devouring the entire land. So we got a vision of locusts, and then we have a vision of this fire that's so hot and so intense that it is actually burning up the depths of the sea, and it's devouring the entire land. So you and I need to understand when God calls us and we're God's children, there's some things that he expects, and we're not living like he expects. We can expect there to be punishment. We can expect there to be consequences of living that way. This isn't something just for Israel. This is something we need to understand can happen in our lives, that we need to take this seriously. And then he goes on to share another interesting one. He goes on to talk about a plumb line. And in verses 7 through 9, he showed him another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? He said, I saw a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I'll test my people with this plumb line. I'll no longer ignore their sins. I realized last night as I was talking to my daughter that she didn't know what a plumb line was. And by the way, I'm not a SAG fan, but if I had kept this in my pocket a little bit longer, my pants were going to start sagging because this little plumb line is quite heavy. But that's all a plumb line is. It's just a weight attached to a string that could be held up either as a wall was being built or when it was finished to show you if it was plumb, if it was straight. And God is basically saying to the nation of Israel, that's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to hold you up in light of what I've taught you, in light of, of my word. I'm going to hold it up, and I'm going to see how you fare. I'm going to see if you're plumb or not. 
So this was a pretty big deal right here that God was going to do that because as we know from his word, Israel was not going to fare very well based on what we talked about just a few moments ago. And so God was going to use that to be a, to, as a moral plumb line just to see if they were straight or if they needed to be torn down. And we know from his word, things were not good. God was going to have to punish them because of what was going on in their life because they were not plumb. They were out of fellowship with him. They were not living like he had called them to. But I want you to notice something that's really important in verses 2 and 5. Um, that, that at first I read over these really quickly, and then as I studied more and more, God brought it to my attention. I want you to notice what Amos did. God talks about some visions that are going to happen, some ways that this nation is going to be judged and punished. But listen to what it says. Amos says to God, O sovereign Lord, please forgive us, or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. And then if I drop down to the next verse, to verse 5, Amos says, O sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. So what I'm noticing Amos doing here is that Amos is crying out to God for forgiveness. He's crying out in, in, in um, favor of his nation. And then I want you to notice what happens when he cries out. Listen to what God's word says. So the Lord relented from his plan. I will not do it, he said. And if we drop down to verse 6, he says again, then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. It's amazing to me that in God's anger, God's frustration, God's brokenheartedness, and he's getting ready to destroy this land, that this man, Amos, stood in the gap and prayed and confessed, and God relented, and God did not carry out the plan that he was going to originally do. And I want you to understand today, if you're guilty of the things that I'm talking about today, and maybe you're feeling God's judgment, and you're feeling some consequences in your life right now that you don't like, one of the things I want to tell you to do is don't underestimate the importance of, of forgiveness. Don't underestimate the importance of repentance. Because I'm not telling you that God's going to take away those consequences. I'm not telling you he's going to do what he did right here in God's word. But what I do know is that forgiveness and repentance are very important to God. And he hears the cry of his people. And so I would challenge you today, if that's where you are, ask God for his forgiveness. And then repent. And repentance is turning away from him and going the other direction. So stop doing what you're doing with God's help. Maybe you need somebody to come alongside you to help you do that. But repent of that sin because God wants to be in a, be in a walk with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you today. And this could be key to making that happen. But I also want to be careful in telling you that, that you'll notice what happens in verse 8. And don't miss this, because in verse 8, the last part of verse 8, God says this, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore their sin. That is a huge statement. There is a time, there is a situation where God's patience will run out. And I beg you, like I do in my own life, not to push that. We never want to get to the place where we push God's and push God and push God and push God until he reacts, until he says, you know what, I'm going to put the plumb line against their life and I'm going to see what happens. So we need to know that yes, forgiveness is important and yes, uh, repentance is important, but there is a time when God's patience runs out and we're going to deal with consequences and we're going to deal with punishments that nobody's going to be able to stop. And as you notice in, ver in these verses dealing with the plumb line, Amos stayed out of the way. God made clear what he was getting ready to do, and Amos couldn't stop that from happening. So what does all this mean for us today? What, we've looked at Amos. We see how that nation was living. We see what God was getting ready to do, and the destruction was getting ready to take place. What does that mean for us today? 
And let me say this, the us I'm talking about are those people who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Christ followers is who I want to talk to for the next few moments. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just pray you listen and you pray and you ask God, God, is that a step I need to take to be in a relationship with you? But for right now, I'm going to talk to those of us who are Christ followers. And I want to take just a minute and I want to talk about God's plumb line for us as believers. And scripture is full of different ways and different things that God wants us to be about. I'm going to look at four of them very briefly. We're going to move through these pretty quickly. But just four things that I think God would say, I want to make sure that your life is plumb in these four areas. So let me take just a moment and you'll find these on your card and we'll go through them quickly. But the first one I want you to see there is that Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. That's the first plumb line that I want us to focus on for a minute. I want you to listen to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And God's word says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to understand today that um, God's plumb line for our life, lives, the first one is that Christ would live in us. And this verse talks about the whole idea that we've been crucified. It's no longer us that's living, but it's God living in us. It's no longer about our desires. It's no longer about our passion. It's no longer about our plans. Our lives become God's. And it's about Him living in us. So our preferences and our desires no longer matter. We continually need to be going back to God saying, God, what do you want? God, what's your desire? God, what's your passion for my life? And we need to make sure that our life is in alignment with what he wants. Because if we do it any other way, life is not going to be what God desires for it to be. Is that hard? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it always fun? By no means. Living the Christian life is hard and it is tough. But I want to tell you today, it's not about you. It's about God carrying out his purpose and his plan in your life. And Christ, if he's living in you, he's calling the shots. And we know from his word that once we surrender to him, that verse is true of us. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about us. It's about him living in us. A second plum here. So if Christ lives in us, what does that mean? It means that we're a new person. The second one you're going to see there. That we are to be a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen closely to this verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. Listen to me today. Are you living like that? Are you living a transformed life? A transformed life doesn't come by your effort. You're not good enough and I'm not good enough. Isaiah tells us our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags before God. We'll never meet up to his standard. The transformation that this is talking about, the new person that this verse is talking about, is the person when God's sitting on the throne of their life. It's when, again, back to the first point, when Christ lives in us, then all of a sudden this takes place. We're a new person. We're transformed. That doesn't mean we don't have struggles. That doesn't mean we still at times don't battle with sin. Absolutely we do. But we have Jesus living in us through the Holy Spirit. And we're a new person. And we don't have to be defeated by the same things that defeated us yesterday. We have victory over those things. And it may be that we need people to come alongside us, that God puts in our life to help that happen. It could be God just chooses all of a sudden to remove that from our life. But God wants to transform your life. And that verse is telling us that, that he wants to do that, that we're a new person when Jesus Christ comes into us. And so are you living that way? Are you living like a new person? Or are you still living in the things that you struggled with years and years ago because you've not crucified yourself? You've not said, God, this isn't about me, it's about you living in me. 
Or have you crucified yourself so now you're the new person that Scripture talks about? And that leads me to the third point there, that God desires to use me to reach other people. God desires to use me to reach other people. This verse should sound very, very familiar to you. Let me read verse 18 to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God's word says this, And all of this is a gift from God. And the gift he's talking about is a transformed life. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That is our very mission here at Cedar Creek Church. That we would help bring people back to God. That we would help reconcile people to God. And that's his plan and his desire for your life. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what sports team your child is on, wherever you go, God's passion and his desire is to use you to reconcile people to him, to help bring people back to him, to help people understand their need for him. And we all have that calling on our life. And again, this is one of those plumb lines for our life that it's important to God that we understand that he desires to use us to reach other people. This isn't the task of the staff at churches. This is the staff, this is the task of anyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we're to help bring people back to him. We're to help reconcile people to him. So another really, really important plumb line that God's looking in our life for. And then the final thing there is that uh, we're to serve other people. We're to serve other people. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. A few verses I want to read to you here, but just listen. I'll go through these pretty quickly, but listen closely as I share these. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Listen to this verse. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Listen to that this morning. When you and I serve other people, it's as if we're serving King Jesus. It's as if we're serving God. We've been called to serve other people. That's what our very lives are about. And that's why I tell you, once we've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer about us anymore. It becomes that next person that God wants to use and change their life and transform them, transform them through us. Our very lives become about serving other people and doing the things that nobody else is willing to do, but God's called us to do it, and we step out and we do that this morning. So let me ask you a question as we go through those. How do you measure up this morning? On, on those four things, that Christ lives in you, that you're a new person, that he desires to use you to reach other people, that he wants you to serve other people. If God held his plumb line up to your life, how would you do today? Would you feel pretty good about where you are? Would God feel good about, what, about where you are? Are you moving in the direction that he wants you to move in? Or would you say, Danny, you know what? I'm not doing very well. I'm struggling with that. Is your life being lived as God desires? Are you plumb this morning? Are you comfortable or is your life crooked when compared to God's plumb line? 
Would your life be very wavy and, and not consistent with what God wants? And here's the cool thing today. It's not too late. It is not too late for you to change that and for God to build your life into what he desires. All it is this, and I, this is a question I want you to think about, and it may be different for each of us, but what steps do you need to take to get your life in alignment with God's word? What steps do you need to take to get your life in alignment with God's word? What steps do you need to take to get your life plumbed? And I promise you this, if you ask God and you seek God, he's going to show you exactly what you've got to do. Will you be willing to do that? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? Do you need to begin to focus on your relationship with God so that your life begins to be plumbed? Do you need to begin to spend time in, in God's word and in prayer? Or maybe you need to find a place to serve this morning. Maybe you need to get into a home group. I don't know what your next step is, but I tell you this, God has a next step for you to begin to get your life plumbed, to get your life where he desires for it to be so that you can live the life that he desires for you to live. So my hope and my prayer this morning simply is this, that you'll be obedient to whatever God calls you to do because your life matters. If you're, if your life matters, period. But if you call yourself a believer, your life really does need to be lived as God's called you to live. And he has a plan and he has a purpose. And we step outside of that, he'll allow us to do that. But we need to understand there's judgment there, there's consequences there. And are you willing to live that way? Or are you willing today to say, God, you know what? I want my life to be plumb. I want to live like you've called me to live. And I'm going to take that step you're leading me to take to make that happen. So this morning, as I lead us in prayer, I just ask that you would pray also about what your next step is to make sure that your life is plumb. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I come to you. I thank you for our time today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Amos, God, a very, very normal guy who was going about his life that you called, and he was just obedient to deliver the message that you had for him. And I look out across this congregation this morning, and Father, I see a lot of ordinary people just like me that are going through life, that God, you've called us to do some things. You expect us to do some things. And we talked about several of those things today, things that we need to do to make sure our life is plumb in accordance with your plan and your will. And my prayer is today that we would just examine our life, that, Father, we would be still for a moment, and that, Father, we would allow you to judge our lives and for you to show us where we're not all we can be and all you've called us to be. And then I pray you give us boldness and courage to take that step to do whatever it is that we need to do as our next step to begin to straighten our lives out in a way that pleases and honors and glorifies you. So would you speak to each person here? Father, would you speak a personal message to them? And I thank you so much that you love each of us so much and you're so passionate about us that you have that personal word for us. Would you give us boldness and courage to do what you've called us to do? And again, thank you for your love. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your care for each one of us. And thank you that you want our lives to be plumb because that's where we're going to find meaning and hope and purpose. And that's where we're going to live the life that's going to reflect Jesus Christ. And I pray all of these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.